Hello, everyone. This is Eva Nolik-Smith with Yoga You Online, and I'm here today with renowned and beloved yoga teacher, Judith Hansen-Lassiter. Judith has taught yoga now for more than four decades. She's trained in the Iyengar yoga tradition, and she's also a physical therapist and holds a doctorate in East-West psychology. Judith is widely known and loved for her book on restorative yoga, Relax and Renew, and she's one of the leading restorative yoga teachers in the world. She's also the author of several other books, a total of eight books on yoga, including Living Your Yoga. Judith is widely recognized as a teacher of teachers and a frequent presenter on Yoga You Online. Judith, we are so happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much, and I'm just as happy to be with you. It's always a pleasure. The topic of our talk today is backbends. And backbends, of course, for many, many reasons, is an extremely important group of yoga postures. But for many of us, it's perhaps also the group of postures we most love to hate. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about backbends and why they're important and why they tend to be so difficult. There's an expression in English to bend over backwards for someone, and it means to really go Mm -hmm. out of your way to do something difficult or challenging to help someone out. And I think that that expression you know, people will say, well, I don't know why. I mean, I've been over backwards to help him, but he didn't appreciate it. So we kind of have in our vernacular and maybe in our unconscious mind this idea that backbends are difficult. But they are, from a physical viewpoint, the ability to extend the spine backwards is normal, especially in the lumbar spine, which is the lower back, and Lesser in the thoracic spine, but even so, if we're going to lift our arms straight in front of us, all the way up over our head, or abduct it, which is out to the side and all the way up over our head, in order to complete those two motions in a healthy and safe way, we need to slightly extend. And we actually backbend every time we inhale. If you take an inhalation, you'll see that you're thoracic spine is the place you'll notice it, it slightly backbends. And then when you exhale, it slightly flexes. So there is a backbend going on with every breath. I think what the reaction to the idea of backbends is all about is people picture some contorted, extreme, wrap your foot over your head and around your neck and tie a bow kind of pose. Because often, backbends being such beautiful poses and stunning poses and attention-grabbing poses are often used in in photos around yoga, the beauty of the yoga asana. So I think people, when they hear backbends, they think uncomfortable, difficult, too extreme. But one of the things that I really want to talk about is what does it really mean to bend backward and how much backbending is healthy for us because it is given to us, you know, I really believe both on a philosophical and as well as a physical level that we need to use the abilities we've been given. We can bend forward, we can rotate to the side, we can bend to the side, we can bend backward. So in order to maintain a balanced 
orchestra of movement of the muscles and the nerves and the joints in, in our body and the effects that those movements have on the organs as well, we need to move in all directions. And we do. We lift our hands up over our head and we were painting or we bend down and pick a pencil we dropped off the floor. Then we turn around backwards and back out of the garage. And we all day long, human beings are in all positions. And this is very healthy for the discs between the vertebrates, very healthy for the organs, as I said, and, and balances all the muscles of the spine. The other thing sort of psychologically or philosophically is when we bend backward, we open the front. And we can't see, if we go really backward, we can't see what's in front of us anymore. And so to open in a back bend is to, in a way is to open it to the unknown. And mm. I believe that in order to live a life that's rich and sweet and delicious, have you ever had, I mean, I, I love nectarines, Eva. I love nectarines as a fruit. <laughs> and a couple summers ago, we had a phenomenal here in California crop of nectarines. So I remember that I spent that summer, it's the summer of the nectarine to me, because I was buying <laughs> these beautiful organic nectarines, locally grown. I would wash them off, and I would have to lean over the sink to eat them. Because they were so juicy, they just dripped down my face. They were sticky and sweet and juicy and the most delicious thing you ever ate. They were perfect. You would open them up and they would have that pink rose-colored center and the lovely yellowish golden meat of the nectarine. And if you ate that, you didn't want cake or candy because they were so satisfyingly good. That is my standard for delicious. And in order to live a life that has the quality of deliciousness, we have to be open to not knowing everything, to a little bit to the unknown. And part of what happens to us, I think, as we age, is we begin to curl in upon ourselves. And you'll see some people, you can see from their upper back, that they're rounded and they're becoming more rigid in closing the front body. Interesting. And so I believe that we need physically, as well as sort of psychologically and philosophically, to backbend every day. Now, and that's one of the things I want to talk about in our sessions, is how do we teach all levels of students backbends? Because I, I, I've had students for whom Tadasana is a backbend. Yeah, because I know they what you mean. stand, they stand in flexion all the time. Right. Well, it's it's really interesting when you sort of look at the evolution of the spine over a lifetime. We come into this world having spent nine months in flexion, and the curves of the spine only gradually begins to develop as your mom puts you on your belly, and you have to start training your neck muscles and lift up and. Eventually, you develop the curves of the spine by virtue of learning to stand upright. But what we do see with people as people get older is it's almost like the spine tends to, for most people, gradually transition back into flexion. It is so amazingly common. Yes, and I think it's getting more common with the computers that run our lives now and how much time we spend 
we can't even conceive of working without a computer. Like, to us, the computer and work is the same thing. So we are sitting a lot in the West. We sit a lot, and we, we're rounded in, and then we sit to, you know, text, or we actually people walk and text. I'm not sure how they do that, but <laughs> I'd kill myself. <laughs> I'd run into a pole or a car or something. But we sit a lot. We're in flexion. And one of the things that's so interesting about backbends is I read a study many years ago Simple extension exercises, you know, what we might call cobra locus kind of variations, actually were very good for helping stop the deterioration of osteoporosis to a certain extent and, and even reverse it because when you use your back muscles against gravity on your bones and whenever we pull on our bones or stress our bones, it causes them to lay down more calcium and become stronger. That's why the astronauts when they're outside our normal field of gravity and the, the amount of gravity we have here, they start losing bone mass. They get it back when they come back, but they have re-entered with this gravity feels really heavy to them again. So backbends are good for that. I like to say if you're getting older, do more backbends. <laughs> if you're not getting older, you know, if you're under 25, don't worry so much. But once you start getting up there, backbends are really, I think, an important key to health. The other thing I will say that I have been guilty of, and I think I'm not alone in that in the yoga world, is we put an awful lot of emphasis on the poor, defenseless, skinny little hamstrings. And we do a lot of stretching of hamstrings of forward bending. Because I think, even though they might be tight, they're not super strong compared to the quadriceps or other big muscles like the adductors. And so we'll do dog pose or uttanasana or standing poses or, you know, sit on the ground and reach for our toes. But I think that we need to put equal, if not almost more, as we get older, emphasis on opening the chest because it helps with breathing. If the intercostal muscles between the ribs are tight or the pectoralis muscles in the front body are tight in the upper outer chest, I mean that's going to impede the movement of the rib cage and therefore respiration. And being able to breathe well and fully is is tantamount to being able to live well and fully. I mean breathing is the first thing we do when we're born is take a breath. Right. And so backbends can help that, can help stretch, you know, the pectoralis muscles and some of the shoulder girdle and, you know, the abdomen and the chest. They're important for that reason as well. Yeah, and I, I know there actually has been studies showing that people with hyperkyphosis, which is this exaggerated curvature of the thoracic spine, you know, people in nursing homes who are in that slumped over posture, there are actually studies that say that they have much higher rates of pulmonary disease, you know, lung problems, breathing problems, and a higher mortality rate than people, their peers who have a good posture. So it kind of underscores what you're saying about the importance of keeping that flexibility in, in our spine and working on, on our posture. Yes, it used to be not that long ago that pneumonia was the number one killer in the United States before antibiotics. Mm. And it's still a very serious illness, and people still die of pneumonia even today. 
lung function is critical. The other thing, too, that's very interesting about posture is that there are reflexes, all kinds of neurological reflexes in your body, postural reflexes, that when you're standing upright, your brain is literally more stimulated. Mm -hmm. I've seen this in nursing homes many times. I've gone in there and people are sitting in their wheelchair, but they're really, really slumped over. And I just get a bunch of pillows and, you know, with their permission, prop them up into a more upright posture and they, they just wake up. They start interacting socially. It's inextricably wound together. It's woven together like a very intricate sweater is woven together. That if you're sitting upright, then not only do you have probably heart and lung function, digestion, possibly elimination, all the things that make, you know, you're digesting your food, then you're going to assimilate it better, then you're going to eliminate better, get rid of toxins out of your body, you're going to breathe better, your heart's going to function better. Yes, all of that happens, but additionally with this open front body and good posture that we should have as a birthright through our whole life is that mm-hmm. then your head is erect and you look at people and you look in the eye and you have social contact and all of that social contact and social intercourse has been proven to be a part of longevity. As soon as I would prop these people up, they would start chattering to me. And then people who work there say, oh, they, she really likes you. She doesn't talk to anyone. And I'm like, I don't think she likes me. I'm a grumpy woman just coming in here, propping her up with pillows. She's being stimulated. Her nervous system is getting proprioceptive feedback from her postural position, which lights up her brain. Interesting. So, yeah. But it's not just for older people. I mean, I see people of, you know, even younger who are always tucking and always flattening and not really backbending. One of the things I want to talk about when we have our session is when we backbend, commit to a backbend. Don't try to do a forward bend and a backbend. What happens to your lower back and your sacrum in backbends? And why are we trying to undo that? And that leads me to the philosophical point, as everything always does, knowing me, is that why are we fighting ourselves and our nature and believing that that's somehow better? Why do we believe that we are not inherently good? Why do we not trust ourselves to find the good, to live the good? Why do we doubt and feel that our brain, our thinking brain, which is minimally useful. (laughs) It's useful, but it's not sufficient to a a life well lived. We need to also trust, I don't know, I think even that, at least true for me, that the more I listen, the deeper I go in practice. That practice used to be about telling myself what to do, and now it's so much more about listening to what is coming from the intelligence that not just coagulated in my brain, whatever there is of it, the minimal amount I've been allotted, but the intelligence of my organs, of my bones, of my body, of my immune system. You know, interesting personal experience lately just reinforces the power of listening. Is I was getting these strange muscle cramps. And it wasn't like a normal Charlie horse in your calf. It was in my toes. And my toes would just go into this sort of tetanus. And I'm like always 
on my right side, and it was the weirdest thing. And I, they would cross over the, each other, and I couldn't get them apart. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and I, st- I know it. It was fascinating. And then right around that time, I started craving pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds. And I would see them in the store, and my mouth would water. And I'm like, what? So I started eating pumpkin seeds, and in a few days, the cramps started going away. And then I started reading about it. Pumpkin seeds are the highest known source of magnesium. In the, oh. in the, it's like the highest source. Half a cup of pumpkin seeds is 400 units of magnesium, which is your daily allotment. They're very, very high in that. If there's not enough magnesium in your body, then calcium can't cause muscle contraction to relax. So the whole point of this shaggy dog story is to say, I listened. My body wanted pumpkin seeds. My logical brain did not know why. And that's always, always true. The logical brain, is it seems like it has delusions of grandeur. It thinks it's leading. It's ahead, but it's not the body's ahead. But we mm. don't listen to the body. And so listening to what the body needs definitely will include backbends. We wake up in the morning and we put our arms over our head and we stretch and we got to bend backwards. We unfurl the flag of our spine in the morning air. Right. And so I want to talk about how we can find the backbends that suit us and that they can be within reach of every single person. They don't have to be Rajaka Bhutasana. They don't have to be hard and unpleasant. Yeah, and and speaking of that, I mean, even somewhat simple backbends like a cobra pose, it's not that uncommon for many people to not like backbends because it tends to rhyme with back pain, right? So many people complain about low back pain, even after somewhat simple poses like cobra pose. So is this an alignment mistake? Is it lack of flexibility? What is happening there and how can we learn to listen to the body to avoid that? Okay, basically my answer is yes. (laughs) I think when we have pain in an asana, what I like to say is that it's not necessarily the movement, it's the amplitude. You're going too fast for your body in that direction. Mm. So how can we reduce the amplitude not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Discs between the vertebra, if they move out of place, they tend to go posterior laterally and they can press on the nerve roots exiting the spine. And I have a friend who's in bed now, has to have an epidural, has to go to the doctor and get an epidural because she can't even walk from the pain. And so I believe that part of keeping the disc fat and plump and juicy is moving them in all directions, and that is borne out with some research. Body was meant to move. And we need to move it with intelligence, with compassion, and with consistency. When I got married a long time ago, and I was on my honeymoon in the Bahamas, I was on the beach one day, and I saw a 75-year-old man out there, I learned he was 75 later, obviously, doing handstands on the beach. And I went up to him and I said, what is your secret? You're so fit. 
you're 75. You know, so obviously he had white hair. I said, how old are you? Would you mind telling me? He said, no, I'm 75. I said, okay, what is your secret? And he said, this is what you do. As you grow older, eat less, exercise more, and be happy. And I would add to that, don't smoke and stay out of the sun. But anyway, wear sunscreen. It's not that we need less backbends as we get older. We need more intelligent ones. We need consistent ones. Because if we do nothing, we will sink inward under the weight of habit, under the weight of anxiety, under the weight of attachment. Very interesting. Judith, as you have hinted a couple of times, you will be teaching a course on Yoga You, going much more deeply into the topic of backbends and how to approach them in our practice so that we pace ourselves correctly and learn to listen to the body and avoid some of the common mistakes most people make. Could you talk a little bit about the course and what you'll be covering? Yes. I definitely want to talk about what you said. I want to talk a little bit about anatomy because it's not anatomy, it's not a course with Judith where backbend comes from, what are the differences in backbending the cervical, thoracic, lumbar spine, what happens to the sacroiliac joint, what happens if you have a student who has a couple of fused vertebrae, a number, they don't do that as much anymore, but, you know, you will have people in your class, I've had many of them who've had, through accident injury, surgery, whatever, fused vertebrae where there's a whole segment of the spine that doesn't move, or maybe it's fused from birth, how to deal with that where to put backbends in a practice, which ones I think possibly aren't worth the time and energy and effort to do, if any, how long to stay, and then just basically more and more about the practice of them. And what inhibits us from being able to do backbends besides muscle tightness? Is there any other reason that we have difficulty bending backward? And we'll talk about that. The art and science of it. And then I, of course, want to cover a little bit of this we hinted at today, the psychology of backbending, the breathing that goes with it, and the philosophy of it. So I want to talk a little bit about the powerful idea in an asana practice of moving in all directions and what that means and what happens to us when we don't look at the wholeness of asana and what happens to us when we don't look at the wholeness of all of yoga and we pull out one little piece of it? And what place backbends play in the mosaic of asana? And maybe a little with a place that asana plays in the mosaic of the whole practice of yoga. So I have big plans for us, as you can tell. It just sounds like a really fascinating course and on a topic that... I think on some level most of us struggle with backbends, even the simpler ones, because it is in many ways the most difficult movement of the spine and the one that we're most predisposed to lose over time. But Um, I want to leave you with this thought. This is an interesting thought. I used to think that backbends were hard and forebends were easy because I somehow was born without hamstrings or something. I don't know. I could, from dancing or something, I could bend forward easily. And then I met this person named BKS Iyengar. And one day we were practicing with him in a class. This was in the 
1975 or six something. We were in the point of practice, and we did Paschimottanasana. Just straight legs in front of you, bend forward, Paschimottanasana. And it was my favorite pose at the time. And he said, you like this pose? We said, oh, yes, oh, yes, you know, naively. He sits down on the floor. He says, come down, do the pose. So we do the pose, and the clock starts ticking in pretty soon five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. I look up many times, and he has not moved a hair. He has not looked up. He has not wiggled. He has not fidgeted. He has not moved in any way. And I'm dying because the back of my legs, I mean, my legs are pretty much numb by then. Now, keep in mind that this was not a hard pose for me. My chest was resting on my thighs, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then in 20 minutes, he said, okay, come up. And we looked at him, and he just got right up and started walking around the room. And we were like, we had suddenly become 150 years old. We put our hands on the side of our legs, like, we're pushing up. Oh, he's laughing. Throw back his head and laugh. We're just like, barely can move. Our legs are just numb. And I begin to understand that, Forward bends, as you practice them, they get harder and harder and harder. The longer you stay, the deeper you go, the harder they get. Back bends, the hard part is in the beginning. The first Mm. back bend is worse than the second. The second is harder than the third. When you start moving, we do one and it's awful, so we quit. But the more you move into back bends, the more fluid you get, the easier they get. If you really open in the front thighs, and the shoulder joint, you can do Rajakaputasana. Mm. I almost don't even think of Rajakaputasana as a backbend. So backbends get easier as you go through a sequential practice. Forebends get harder. And that was such a learning for me. And I think that most of us have the opposite view because we don't warm up enough into backbends. We don't work the surrounding tissues we don't have an intelligent way of approaching, and we do one or two, and it just, uh Analogy is coming up from the floor into Urvadhanirasana, into upside-down bow. The hard part is the first third or half of it, the inertia of coming off the floor and up. That's the getting the momentum to start the movement up is harder than actually getting up there, being there. I do want to talk about that a bit as well. That's an interesting thought, don't you think? It is very interesting, yeah. I also really like what you said early on that, you know, learning backbends is really about pacing yourself and learning to pace yourself by listening to where your body is ready to go because then backbends do become a very enjoyable experience. It's just there's always someone with a more bendable spine in the class and people think that that's what the pose should be looking like. So there we go. There Maybe we should all. issue blindfolds when people come into yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tape this eye bag to your forehead. Cover your eyes the whole class. Stop comparing yourself <laughs> to anyone else. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I remember Rodney Yee at one conference, he said, the greatest blocker to any yoga pose is your idea of the yoga pose. Then I realized, well, that's actually not just the student's blocker of the yoga pose, it's also the teacher's blocker, because the teacher tends to think that a cobra has to look like this, Danur Asana has to look like this. And, of course, that's not the case. It's like a different pose for everybody. And for some students, 
you know, a little baby cobra is just perfect. It's perfect, and I agree. And, you know, it's also a different pose in your 20s and your 40s and your 60s. It's a different pose, maybe. And we haven't even mentioned this, but we're definitely going to talk about supported backbends. My favorite They are also (laughs) lovely. Yes. One of the most lovely, heart-opening, and peaceful groups of postures. I think that we better let you go. You have been gracious to spend a lot of time introducing us to this important topic and highlighting some of the key features of the course. So, Judith, thank you so much for joining us. And everyone listening in, I hope you can join us for Judith's upcoming course on backbends. And be sure to check Judith's course section on your review online to see the tremendous collection of great courses we have with Judith. So enjoy the rest of your day. And Judith, thanks again so much for joining us. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste.